You're listening to ABS in Mind, a bi-weekly podcast bringing you the latest buzz from the asset-backed markets. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is ABS in Mind, and I'm your host, uh, Diana. Today, we thought to give you an update from the commercial real estate world, one of the largest and arguably hardest hit areas of the asset-backed markets. We have Maura Sidovi, our assistant editor and CMBS reporter, joining us. Hi, Maura. What's on your mind? Thanks, Deanna. Um, today, my guest is uh, Jim Shevlin, uh, we're from uh, president of CW Capital. We're going to be talking about what he's seeing uh, on the servicer side as well as on, on the um, sell side uh, in the CRE market. Thank you. And we also have Gwelda Wan, CMBS reporter at Deathwire ABS. Gwelda, what's on your mind? Yeah, um, I'll be talking more generally about the commercial real estate sector, which has been hit so hard by the coronavirus pandemic. Um, there's been a sort of unprecedented liquidity crisis, but there are a lot of signs that it's evading, especially now that the TELF legislation uh, is including CMBS. I think there are signs of optimism for once, uh, for the first time in a while. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Thank you. There's definitely a lot to unwrap here. Can, uh, okay, can Maura and Jim get us started, please? Great. Yeah, so, um, Jim. Hi, yeah, hi, Jim. Um, morning. Thanks for, good morning. Thanks for joining us. I was just curious, last month uh, you, uh, we had talked and you were seeing uh, a big first wave of debt relief requests coming in from hotels. I'm just wondering, how, how is that evolving? Uh, how are you, uh, how are those requests evolving? Are you still, are you now seeing them across the board, across all sectors? Um, and how are you sort of, what, what is your response at this point? What, how, how are you working through them? Great. So that, that's, that's a great first question to ask. And uh, right now we are north of 160 uh, relief requests uh, received to date. Uh, UPB is about $4.4 billion on those deals. And initially, um, obviously, it was the, the, the first wave was hotels. And lately, that has shifted a little bit. So right now, uh, of the 160-plus we received, 61% are hotels. Retail now has bumped up to 26%. Uh, and then office is minimal at 4%. So as you can see, you can see where that second wave is coming through retail. Mm -hmm. And I think what you do then is you kind of take a look at where delinquencies are. We just got through our first remittance. Uh, now, just, just to note that this is, people are still less than 30 days, so they could still make a payment um, in their grace period. But um, our delinquencies on hotels from March to April um, more than doubled. Uh, retail went up 400%. Um, and third, actually in second place was multi um, in terms of delinquency. Um, and that went from nearly nothing to uh, about up 250%. So, um, oddly, I would think that hotels would have gone up more, but I think what's happening is there's so many requests for relief from hotels that they decided to um, make good on their April payment, 
in hopes of getting some type of forbearance. You know, when we look at delinquencies too, and I think more I talked to you about this, when you know, people collect March rents, um, they don't always collect them on the first. So they collect them through the first you know, couple weeks of the month. Those rents typically are what's used to make the next month's debt service. So it lags a little bit. Um, so I was a little bit surprised on retail um, and even multi that the delinquencies would go up so much greater because the tenants probably haven't paid for April. Uh, I think that the, if we talk another month from now, I think the trend will be, you know, very different with a lot higher delinquency as we get towards May. So is that strategic that they're uh, paying the rent, even though they're, many of the, those hotels are closed? Uh, what's the strategy there? I think it's somewhat strategic. Um, you know, when you're requesting relief from a servicer, the servicer is going to, the number one question they're going to ask is, what's your commitment to the property? What are you bringing to the table? And if you're not willing to show your commitment or putting equity into the, into the forbearance request, you know, what is, what's the value that you're going to add? Um, so I think they know that, and they're trying to keep it delinquent. If it gets two payments behind, that is an automatic transfer into special servicing. And, you know, the expense goes up for the borrower uh, when that happens. So to be able to ask for forbearance and keep it at the master level, almost as a consent request, it's, it's, it's cheaper for the borrower to get through that process and quicker. Well, how do their expenses go up uh, if it transfers? What, what happens right. to so the if it goes, if it, Sure. If it goes into special servicing, uh, you know, for, according to the pooling service agreement, there's a bunch of triggers. Um, ordering of third-party reports, appraisal, environmental, property condition. Um, the servicer probably will charge a, a fee, um, you know, a correction fee, a modification fee, whatever the request is. Uh, it may sit in special servicing for a bit. Um, and then, you know, whenever something's in special servicing and the bar doesn't perform up to what they're asking for, you know, it could end up going into um, a foreclosure situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the servicer and the borrower may not come to agreement on the relief request. So there's always a risk for the borrower once they put, once they put it in special servicing. And so what's happening on the retail side if they're – it sounds like they're not paying yeah. their rent as much. The, the, Are so they throwing it, in the towel or what? Well, what's going on, and you can see reports all over the news right now, yeah. the tenants just aren't paying. The tenants are not paying. And so the tenants don't pay, it's got the ripple effect. The borrower doesn't pay, so then the lender doesn't get paid, right? So someone's got to ultimately, you know, take the blunt of it. Um, and, you know, right now, no one seems to know when these tenants are going to pay again. So the relief requests uh, for retail are going to be very different than, I believe, for the requests that we receive for hotels. Um, and, you know, the, uh, we've talked before about this, you know, the typical request, you know, for a hotel could be, hey, let me use my replacement reserves to make my debt service, um, which is something, you know, pretty easy. You can do that. Multifamily, um, you know, I think they feel like when some people get back to work, they'll be able to make their, their payments. I mean, tenants are paying. 
you know, tenants at multi are paying. Your just collections aren't, um, you know, where they were the previous month. I think, you know, we're seeing anywhere from 10 to 20% delinquency on the multifamily side, um, talking to our borrowers of where their collections are. But it may allow them enough money to make their debt service. So, so why are retailers, I mean, guests, guests aren't showing up to the hotels either, but the hotels you said are more, you're seeing more of them pay to, uh, you know, pay their, their rent, their, their um, debt service. Uh, so why are retailers seeming to throw in the towel more, more than hotels? I think hotelers see the, there could be light at the end of the tunnel uh, because eventually once, we go back to some type of travel, some type of normalcy. Um, that property will cash flow and, and, and they should be fine. With retail, we're not sure how these tenants are, will they, be, will they survive? Will they come back into business? Um, you know, there's always been a question about the retail tenants for a period of time now. And, and you know, it's going to be very scary uh, six to eight months from now. I mean, there's reports out yesterday regarding JCPenney and what their future is. Um, it, it is going to be a very interesting next few months. Um, and what about uh, sort of the lender approach to this um, on the um, for um, mortgage REITs? We've seen margin calls. Is there a range That's of right. like uh, sort of friendliness toward the borrowers that are in this, these straits? Um, uh, and like, and where does CW Capital sit on that spectrum? You know, it, it is a very collaborative process between the borrower, the servicers, the bondholders. Everyone wants to make this work and, and, and not kill the industry by, just blowing up every deal. And I think it behooves us to work with the borrowers to make it work. And that's why I, you know, if a borrower can prove to us they need relief, giving them forbearance over a 90-day period to get over the hump, um, it, it benefits everybody. Um, but when you've got tenants that aren't going to pay who knows how long they're filing bankruptcy or they're doing this, you know, it becomes more of a bigger conversation and you've got to wonder what you can do with it. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the conversation with retail. Mm -hmm. hmm. What does the new um, normal look like? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of us have figured that out yet. And, Is this, you know, yeah. I worry about, I worry about malls more, you know, mm -hmm. At what point do any of us want to, you know, kind of hang out in an enclosed, you know, uh, building for extended periods of time? You know, malls are already teetering on trouble. You know, is this even one more nail? Yeah. Well, switching to the sales side, um, I mean, some might be surprised that um, CW Capital's auction site drew the uh, the 18.5 million dollar bid for that um the em an empty st louis office tower i mean a very large one but um so w what what does that say about uh, appetite who you know can you talk at all about that deal and or who and where uh cre buyers are now where you're seeing appetite and not sure so we've had 
um, Real Insight Marketplace is the name of our auction platform. And we had an event in March, March 25th, uh, kind of the first one in the COVID-19 era. And we had one yesterday. Both auctions uh, really outperformed uh, even previous auctions we had when we didn't have this crisis in terms of registered bidders, number of CAs, number of unique people bidding. And, um, you know, going into this, we thought the smaller deals will probably do fine. Um, the deals where maybe you couldn't get, you really didn't need leverage. Someone could just write a check and, and take it down. And they did, and they, they really crushed it. But we also, um, you know, in the March 25th event, we had a property in New Hampshire um, that was a redevelopment of, a potential redevelopment of a mall. And uh, we had a number of bidders. And, um, you know, more of a development type opportunity, redevelopment. And that deal actually closed. We, we have the auction event. It closed 14 days later. Uh, so that one's already, that one's already settled and, and sold. Uh, the other deals from March 25th are, you know, in the process of closing this week and next week. So things are still closing. It's, it's a whole process, right? You have the auction event. You've got to get them under contract. You've got to get the hard deposit. And then you've got to get them closed. So um, they don't mm -hmm. count really till they close, but we feel pretty good. Right. So yesterday um, we had uh, six assets uh, going and um, our average uh, register bidders was 13 on the six assets, which is pretty high. And of the, of the average 13 that registered, seven were the unique bidders on each one. So um, that, is also a very, very good statistic. And, and it's really, you know, not to tell us, but, you know, our technology and our real estate knowledge, I think, helps us with our market outreach. And we spend a lot of time doing that. Um, I know the one that you have um, your eyes on is the 1ATT Center in St. Louis. Um, that one um, did very well. Um, you know, we're in the process now of uh, waiting on a, a hard deposit. Uh, once we get a hard deposit, um, it would be considered under contract. Um, but that's really all I can say until it goes under contract fully. Um, but yeah. it was. Can you, uh, what, it was, was it leveraged? Uh, we don't know that. I mean, did I they mean, need financing? Well, okay. typically when we do our um, deals, Maura, um, the yeah. bidders always have to proof up. We proof up every single bidder on every deal. We have an idea of where the reserve price would be. You have to proof up typically all cash for our transactions. So that bidder uh, showed us enough cash they could take it down with that. If they get leverage, our deals are not financing contingent, but if they do get leverage, um, um, you know, they may do that, but that's not, a, that's not a need here for them to take down this deal. They have enough cash mm -hmm. to be able to take it down. So, so where is the appetite? I mean, that's an, I mean, talk about risk, an empty St. Midwestern office building. Where, where's that coming from? What's the sort of idea there, do you think? Well, What's you the know, it's value add. You know, it's an opportunity, you know, that that buyer could have a, uh, a tenant in mind uh, to be able to put into some of the vacant space. Um, uh or the ability to to um, you know own an iconic building in a in a you know kind of secondary market. 
Um, mm-hmm. And people see opportunity. There is still some liquidity out there. You know, not everyone's leveraged to the tilt. And I think those guys are going to clean up going forward. You know, we have, you know, future events coming up uh, the end of April and in May and in a couple in June. And we're seeing great demand for people signing up on our site. And that may be <laughs> people are at home and being online may be very beneficial because they have the opportunity to check things out and do virtual tours and, and uh, get all the due diligence information just a click away. Yeah. Huh. And last question. Um, are you guiding them where they could find financing? What, where, what financing is available at this point? I mean, there are some bridge lenders out there that, um, you know, we would push them to. Um, Which ones? You know, (laughs) (laughs) I can't say. But, um, but, um, you know, I I think that stabilizes at a certain point, especially when, you know, depending on what leverage you're asking for, um, you know, and you're willing to give maybe a recourse uh, component to it, uh, there's always going to be some leverage available. But again, with all of our deals, we proof them up to take things down in all cash. So it's not really something we really are that concerned about. Um, you know, that deal that you saw yesterday, you know, approaching, you know, a $20 million number, um, you know, above that, you start to wonder, you know, how people can take things all down. We haven't done anything bigger. You know, that was kind of the largest deal we've done in in the COVID-19 era. Um, We do have some bigger ones coming up, so we'll see what happens. It's just business as usual. You know, it's it's business as usual. Business as usual in the no no change? In the disposition side. In the disposition side. You know, deals are being sold and people are buying them. Wow. Okay. Um... All right. Well, uh, I think those are all my questions. I know you have to get you have a, a, a short window here, um, but I really appreciate your taking the time to chat with us, Jim. Thanks, more. I really appreciate it as well. And uh, have a great day, everyone. Be safe. You too. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Jim. You. I did like uh, I did like when Jim said that everyone kind of wants to make this work and not kill the industry. I think that's a very um, optimistic note um, to live this topic and can we switch to you now Gwelda? Sure I mean that's I think that's very much the feeling uh, in commercial real estate generally is absolutely unprecedented circumstance and day by day kind of reevaluation of just how dire this is and you know just how cash strapped are people, lenders and borrowers. Um, A couple of weeks ago, when all of the mortgage REITs were, not all, but several, were having their liquidity hiccups, which Maura mentioned earlier, um, I think there were moments when absolutely no one was actually originating a loan on commercial real estate, you know, loans that went through had been prepped for months before closing and um, people who were quoting new loans, there were a lot of contingencies or, you know, requests for things like 12 months of interest reserve um, that make the loan 
quite abnormal. Um, and, and some of that has finally been assuaged, I think, mostly because of the TALF uh, inclusion of CMBS. That, that really helped the secondary CMBS market it, it, for AAA bonds, legacy bonds. Um, and while that fixes some of the immediate liquidity problems, it, it doesn't necessarily um, help the primary issuance pipeline moving forward. It doesn't necessarily mean that the subordinate bonds will be tradable. Um, we haven't really seen uh, those spreads come in the way they have for the AAAs. So, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty generally, I think. So I, I think it's interesting how close to the edge uh, we got. And I think you've been following the, the mortgage rates, Gualda, um, just like, I mean, when, when you wrote the CMBS monthly piece, uh, I think you did not, it, you did not take it lightly when you cited T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Uh, it was a grim month um, and there was some tough stuff that happened. How close to the edge did, uh, were we, how, how, how much back from the brink have we come? Uh, can you talk at all about how, you know, what you mentioned that the, the dire situation for the REITs? Yes, I mean, the, I think when there was first chatter about, about uh, mortgage REITs, especially those that issue CRE CLOs uh, being margin called, people were a little bit shocked. You know, it seemed like a really extreme circumstance. And then all of a sudden it was actually really happening. And there was some controversy around how aggressively certain banks were were margin calling their repo borrowers. And there was a lawsuit, for instance, between uh, Royal Bank of Canada and one of its borrowers, which appears to have been a little bit pushed aside for the moment. But um, it's not like we're out of the woods. I think that there are a couple of mortgage REITs that still have some issues there were, it was almost like hour by hour at some point, according to some sources, in terms of whether some of these uh, non-bank lenders would go under. And TALF and the secondary market picking back up have, have helped the outlook. But as we start looking at the whole crisis as potentially a 18-month hiccup as opposed to a three-month hiccup, um, there are still so many questions. I guess, what, what are your main questions? What are you going to be looking for? I guess looking for uh, spreads coming in on, on subordinate classes um, of CMBS in the secondary market. That would be a great sign for the entire sector. Uh, there isn't a lot of hope about that, I think. I don't, I don't think that there's a lot of hope that TALF would be expanded to include new issue CMBS or non-AAA CMBS. I mean, and it's not as though it necessarily should, but should is a strange word to use, right? It's, it's like Jim was saying, um, there's a feeling in the industry, I think that like we have to get through this together and 
while, while things like that might help, it's not clear to what extent uh, the government should be stepping in to, to help, for instance, non-bank lenders that were specifically sort of created through uh, Dodd-Frank or, or sort of like christened by the last financial crisis, the idea being that they would not be bailed out by taxpayers. So um, you had an interesting story yesterday about, um, the, you know, uh, lending, CRE lending, showing some green shoots, signs of life, um, but, um, and primary possibly uh, th that there are uh, deals in the works uh, or conduit deals in the works uh, with only IG loans. Um, where does that stand? How, you know, how soon might that happen and what does that mean? The word on the street was that some of those conduit deals were maybe going to go to market as soon as today, uh, since the religious holidays are over. Um, it's unclear. I think people felt like if there weren't major market dislocations, uh, some of the top top tier shelves um, might start putting together all investment grade conduit deals. Um, it's unclear if the market can currently support that. And again, it's sort of a day-by-day, hour-by-hour kind of calculation, I think. The fact is, though, that there's so much money sitting on the sidelines that has to go out in some form or another. It simply might not get the pricing that investors hoped for. But insurers have started lending again, several sources say. And everyone has a mandate still. They have to they have to make loans or they have to deploy capital in some fashion. And so with billions of dry powder destined for commercial real estate, you know, something has to happen essentially. And is there a connection? Um, have you talked to sources about the connection between the secondary credit bonds and the primary um, getting back, coming back to life? I mean, do, is there something like you need those second, the secondary, the um, credit bonds to be trading and to be uh, liquid, uh, you know, in legacy in order to give stability to the primary market? I'm not sure about that relationship, but I am definitely hearing that uh, conduit issuers had made loans destined for conduits, obviously, and if they're moving forward with only investment grade deals there are going to be loans that they're just sort of stuck with on balance sheet, you know, retail, hotel loans. Where will those go? Um, I think we both have reported on the sort of problems with loan quality and conduit uh, deals. And as Jim was saying, this crisis is just highlighting those issues. The more problematic loans are still problematic, far more so now, and they have to go somewhere. It, I guess it's unclear where for now. Do you think um, with the primary that, you know, like Jim, Jim was saying and Deanna, that, you know, people will uh, buy to help, you know, like pull together uh, um, and, and maybe the, the, the bigger players will, will buy at a low, you know, at a price that, they, they, you know, just hold their nose and buy to try to get the market go back and going. You know, investors will jump in almost out of a civic duty, duty or no? <laughs> I, 
I, I've never heard any investor <laughs> use the word civic, or the phrase civic duty. Yeah. Um, but I think what, <laughs> what Jim was saying about the fact that there, there is still business as usual taking place. I mean, it's just a matter of pricing to some degree, right? There, there are plenty of players that have money set aside for opportunistic deals. They're called that for a reason. This is their time to shine. There's a lot of kind of hesitation and uncertainty and the people are still making their calculations, but there are, as he said, bridge lenders who are, who are, right there happy happy to give you that 11 percent uh loan if your other one didn't work out and there there will be on the equity side to uh portfolio of notes and of properties traded at i'm sure cap rates that will make us all cry in you know five years or whatever yeah that's such an interesting point because I was listening to a single family real estate uh, webinar yesterday and somebody mentioned that, you know, the people that have the liquidity keep getting more liquidity, but others that don't have the liquidity right now don't do, can't really make any deals happen, basically. So, yeah, dry powder rules it all. That's really interesting. It seems like that carries over from every sector, you know, the, the haves and have nots get more starkly separated at moments like this and and that's what happened in the last financial crisis and i think it'd be shocking if it didn't happen again is that the same as cash is king (laughs) (laughs) it's almost like cash is king yeah yeah Well, thank you both so much for um, giving us this very important update on the commercial real estate sector. And thank you, um, Anthony and Christian, for making our um, remote podcasts happen, as always. And I hope everyone is staying safe and well. See you all next time. Thanks for listening to ABS in Mind. If you like our show and want to know more, subscribe to Deadwire and follow us on social media. Please like, share and comment and join us for our next episode soon. Thank <laughs> you.